The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callahan Innovation. Here's your host, Simon Powell. Getting to 100 million in revenue is a magic number in a tiny market like New Zealand. It's a rare club, and even rarer if it's a New Zealand company selling mainly to New Zealanders and not exporting all over the world. In a business culture always looking for that weightless export, one company came in and turned convenience and delivered goodness into one of our fastest companies ever to hit that number. That company is My Food Bag, which has very quickly gone from new idea to part of the culture of the country, with a million meals delivered a month and a growing raft of options and an IPO on the way. To talk about that journey and her career before is founder and co-CEO Cecilia Robinson. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me here today. Hey, so tell me about your path as an entrepreneur, as although My Food Bag is so well known, you had another great successful company before that, Opeerlink. Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. Actually, we started um, Opeerlink a couple of doors down from here um, in 2007, so a decade ago now. And uh, yeah, it was really the first part of our entrepreneurial journey. How did you get started with that? What what led you to um, take the idea of the au pair and make it into a business? Well, look, you know, I'm actually originally from Sweden. And so I had looked to become an au pair in New Zealand and decided to go to America instead because I didn't think that the agencies that were operating here were very good. And then I ended up coming to New Zealand anyway. And when I was here, I really saw a gap in the market to change that. And so I decided to kind of pursue that mainly as a hobby initially, just a fun hobby because I loved it and I was passionate about it. And I thought that it was a really nice way of kind of doing good in the community and changing lives. And so, yeah, we pursued OPLink and got it started in 2007. I was a customer when you were the owner and still still a customer now, actually. Great to hear. Uh, after we had our third kid, we were going to sink and then we looked into it. And I found the company to be amazing. It was, Thank especially you. when you ran it, uh, so well run and everyone was so energetic and people got back to you so fast. And it was, it, it kind of blew out of the water most of the customer experience um, experiences I'd had. How do you go about building that culture? Well, first of all, thank you for that. And it's always great to have people that are customers because, you know, I often hear about my food bag, but OPL Link's just as close to our heart. So, you know, I think um, customer service is always just delivering on your word and, you know, putting your customer at the heart of every decision that you make, you know, and truly making that part of your ethos. And so that's always been the way that James and I run our businesses and it's always permeated through our team and our culture and everything that we do. So I think if you put your customer first, it's really how you end up winning in business. Tell me about James there, who you mentioned, who is the 
co-founder and co-CEO of My Food Bag, and was it the same at Opelik? Yeah, it was. Look, I mean, it's funny because I often take the spotlight and, and he's um, he's an amazing man. So we've always been in business together. We've started our entrepreneurials together. You know, while I was full-time in Opelink working in it, he was the one that was bringing the bacon to make it work and then working after hours to make sure that everything ran swimmingly. And if it didn't, you know, help resolve those issues. And, and ultimately he came into the business as well about three years in to work full-time, um, taking a massive pay cut, as you do, coming out of a corporate world. So, yeah, we've always run businesses together and we've always um, divided our companies in a way that makes sense in terms of how we, we manage and lead it. So we've got quite clear areas of responsibility and it works really well for us and we just love working together. Tell me about your journey at Opelinks. You set it up, uh, saw the gap in the market, grew it to a good level and then exited. How did that go? Yeah, well, look, it was a pretty interesting journey. So we um, started Opelink and Opelink became the first ever OPA company that was licensed by the Ministry of Education in the world. No other OPA company had done that. And so we ran Opelink and it was going really well and um, we were just about to have our first child and I went on maternity leave. And I got really bored in that first week being on maternity leave, right? Because you're meant to do cooking and cleaning and ironing. And I'd done all that and I was just over it. And we'd seen the concept of my food bag overseas. And I just said to James, look, I really want to explore this. And, you know, he's like, go for it, honey. Go and have a look, you know, and see what you can find and see if it's viable. And so I uh, wrote the business plan. Uh, and then four hours later, I was in labor. And um, we had Tom. And then about five weeks after that, we were spinning Tom around our boardroom in his um, stroller. Um, while he was sleeping and doing our board meeting and presenting the new idea for my food bag to Opelink's board. So it was pretty exciting and I don't think we fully comprehended at that point um, how massively that meeting would you know, change the outcome of our lives because Teresa Getting was part of that meeting and she literally just tapped me on the shoulder as she was walk walking out of the meeting and said, look, I'm in, so what are the next steps? And I think um, both James and I went, holy smokes, we're actually doing this and what are we actually doing? And so, yeah, that's how it all started. Tell me how you got Teresa Gatting onto the board for Opelink in the first instance, because she is you know, very well known as one of the first really breakthrough female leaders in business uh, in New Zealand, led telecom through such a big stage, and has been really careful what she works on since. Yeah, she, she really has. And, you know, I think it was just a series of good fortune that uh, made our paths collide, to be honest. You know, look, my husband was at Telecom and he always tells the story of how he was seven or eight layers down from Teresa and there was this internal tool in Telecom that you could literally see every single person that was above you and who the manager's managers was all the way until you got to Teresa. But that's not actually the way that we met her because I went to a speaking engagement for her for Bird on a Wire when she was launching it and James had said to me, look, you have to go, Teresa's fantastic. And it was just, again, just around the corner from here at one of the hotels and I was um, dressed in a pair of um, ripped jeans and a T-shirt and, you know, looked had lived off wheat bix for probably about a week um, that week with OPLink. And um, I walked up to Teresa after the speaking engagement and said, look, I run this really amazing business. My husband and I are in business together and you should really become part of it. And she said, okay then, well, I'll give you my details. And later on that night, um, we sent her all the information about OPLink. Um, Teresa was really amazing in the sense that she said, look, I don't want to be a mentor. I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in being part of the board. I'm interested in, you know, having full transparency. I want to have impact. And, you know, you need to pay me because, you know, the advice that I provide is valuable. And so I think it was a really good lesson in selecting the right people for your business because, you know, if you really want quality advice, you actually have to get the right people involved who have a vested interest in it. And so that's how we got on the path with um, Teresa and 
think for her, she saw it as kind of an avenue to get in with, you know, some young entrepreneurs and see where that journey was going to lead. And and subsequently, we teased her a lot for that because clearly it was a very good decision down the track. <laughs> and so you guys presented the idea to the existing board, and yeah. then you decided to sell the company to focus on it entirely. Tell me about how you, how you made those decisions. Well, yeah, look, to be honest, it wasn't as straightforward as that. So what actually happened was a series of events was that we um, we started exploring my food bags after that board meeting, and by the time that Tom was six months, um, we'd launched my food bag and we were in market. So um, that was exciting, and, and we'd um, asked Nadia Lim to come on board as uh, our brand spokesperson and, and really the heart of our business. And so um, we went through that process. My food bag just had exponential growth. And uh, James and I continued running both companies for quite a while. Um, about a year and a half into that journey, we were approached um, to sell OPLink as part of the Evolve Education roll-up. And so um, we decided that that was the right opportunity, not only for us personally, but for the business as well. Um, we had a really capable general manager in place by that point and decided it was the right, right opportunity to exit. So it also enabled us to focus full-time on my food bag, which you know, was a really big opportunity for us at that point. And, and we thought that it was a really um, exciting thing to explore as well. What kind of growth were you seeing at that moment with my food bag? Because, uh, like I mentioned in the intro, there with the path to a hundred million, it's such a magic figure, and you guys kind of just smashed through it. Yeah, it was. It was a really exciting moment for us, and you know, I think there are very few businesses that have done you know a hundred mil um, in the space of you know three, three and a half years, which we did, and. Look, you know, you can just see that exponential growth and we were doubling, we've been doubling year on year, every single year. And so you look at that as a, as a track record and it's just super exciting. And not only that, but the consumer feedback. And, you know, as you say, you know, my food bag has truly become part of, you know, the DNA of so many families across New Zealand. And, and it's a huge privilege. You know, we don't just take that as a, as a given, but it's actually super exciting for us to, to see how many, um, you know, families we're now penetrating in terms of um, the level of households subscribing to my food bag. How do you manage that? So, you know, let's, something is that successful, uh, even just to provide half of what's going on in terms of capital and infrastructure and growing and the like over a three-year period, did you take your funds from the exit from Opelink and plough it in or did you find a very good bank manager? Or how, how do you do that? So look, my Fubig is a unique business model and the, and the proposition of the business model has worked really well for us. And, you know, the initial founder, shareholders, um, you know, initially invested in the business and, and we had some other, you know, structures in terms of our bank as well. But look, you know, my food bag, you know, part of our business ethos and part of who we are has been to make sure that, you know, we're sustainable in the way that we do business. And, you know, that's been really important for us across both of our businesses. So that comes down to, you know, environmental and, you know, with your team and also financially. And so that financial aspect has been very well managed um, through the growth periods. And we've been able to really, um, you know, work through the for that as we go. So, no, we haven't needed to, to, to do that with the funds from APLink, no. Oh, wow. So, and that subscription model, that idea of, you know, people pay and their food arrives and then they pay next week, how's that helped you guys grow? And and what kind of things actually helped you get the first wins to, to get that to pick up, do you think? Well, I think that's a really good question. You know, when you look at the first wins for us as a business, you know, the sustainability in terms of working with our suppliers, you know, has been super exciting for us. You know, when we launched four years ago, um, we had a suite of suppliers that we'd selected to be part of the journey. But look, there are a lot of people that wouldn't even consider us when we were in, new into the market. 
And so what's been a real privilege has been us uh, growing alongside a lot of our suppliers and, you know, a lot of the major suppliers that we were initially identifying to work with, you know, those three or four years ago are still part of our journey now. So, you know, not only has my food bag grown and had a huge amount of influence, you know, our suppliers have really grown as part of that journey. And that's really cool, you know, making a real difference across so many people's lives. So we've been really proud of that. Tell me about the role of PR because you guys built that business off word of mouth because people were like, wow, this is solving a, a problem and I love it. But also uh, a lot of great PR before you went more recently to mainstream kind of above the line advertising. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, uh, PR did form a really strong part of our strategy. And you look at a company like My Food Bag, and to be really frank with you, you know, the amount of capital that we initially raised to build the business. Uh, was never going to make the business the way it is today. And so we had to be really clever with our funds. And I think in a startup mode and an entrepreneurial environment, you have to be really clever with how you're spending your cash. And so we decided to clearly um, allocate quite a significant portion of that to PR. And part of that strategy was in the early days of influential influencer strategy. And so, uh, you know, paid formed a really um, critical part of that. And, you know, we identified a whole heap of influential people across, you know, Auckland at that point that um, we wanted to give my feedback to and see what they thought. And look, so many people said in retrospect that, you know, look, that was such an easy thing to do, but actually it wasn't because we were trialling a whole new concept with people and it was actually really high risk because if something failed or if we made a mistake, it was all out there. Yeah, and, and um, if all of them said, oh, it totally. doesn't look like a good value or a good totally. proposition exactly. or the, the, the food didn't keep or exactly. the yoghurt spoiled. Like it or, yeah, yeah. So it was actually super high risk, and um, but we we worked for the for the challenges of that um, as a team and, and we executed it really well and and for the next three months post-launch, um, we really focused on a, on a strong PR strategy to build the robustness uh, uh, along the brand. And then after that, we went above the line pretty quickly. So, you know, we decided to spend our funds in a way where we were able to quickly reach mass in New Zealand. I think that was really important. Tell me about that execution, uh, as um, you guys are very well known for your speed to execute uh, with launching new products, sometimes going from idea to action in the space of a month, I've seen yeah. reported. Um, tell me how important it was, especially in the early days, to have that kind of execution mindset. Because I imagine this idea, if you'd seen it overseas, other people might have seen it too. Yeah, look, I mean, an idea is nothing until you do something with it, right? And so for us, uh, ideas all around execution and how we execute and as a business, we take great pride in the fact that we are quick executors, and not only quick executors, but excellent executors as well. So, you know, that comes down to really understanding our customers, understanding our products, understanding the product suite, understanding where the market's going, and then executing on that in a way that's going to be deliberate and fast, you know. And so we feel strongly as a company that to be able to win, you need to be nimble. And we've just we're just always focused on that as a business. And look, you know, in terms of ideas, you know, James and I are ideas people. And so as ideas people, we just focus on, you know, well, this is the next product we should be extending into. And, and that's part of the entrepreneurial gene pool, right? You just you listen to your customers and then you act. So, um, you know, to the degree where our management team sometimes will go away on holiday and they pause product development to see if we've decided on something else while we're on holiday. Um but, um, but yeah, so we work for those challenges as a team and then at the end of the day we've got a really fantastic product suite to, to show for it. So. And so how does that work when you say that you listen to your customers and then act? So let's look at how you first started, which was with the, the kind of classic bag, and yeah. then what, what do you do? You go out and see a 
gap in the market or someone says oh yeah but i don't want this much this like well, what kind of stuff do you do well our initial product suite was classic and gourmet and we always had a third um, product plan which was family which we launched uh, about a year after our initial um, two products and so we spent a huge amount of time listening to our customers and listening initially when we didn't have a lot of funds was through social media often uh, a lot of me spending time looking at our customer communications and look to be really honest with you for the first 18 months at my food bag was in, in business I was on the receiving end of every single um, customer feedback. So not necessarily responding to it, but I was looking at every single piece of communication we got. And from that, I built a really holistic view of you know, what our customers needed and what they were talking about and what their concerns were and how we could resolve those. And so for me, that was a really big focus on, on, on that product development. You know, As the business has grown and, and we've reached more scale and we've been able to invest differently, you know, we do conduct it slightly differently nowadays. I mean, in the early days, we always did focus groups with our, with our customers. You know, We'd ask them in and we'd cook them dinner and we'd ask them questions and, and we'd, we'd try trial concepts with them but but you know nowadays we don't only do that we also expand more into um, you know doing more robust um, surveys and things like that but um, but yeah we've always had that culture of making sure that we're listening and then that we're testing and then that we're acting on what our customers are asking us for. I saw you speak at um, speak fantastically at a Fast 50 Deloitte Fast 50 event and you mentioned that one of the things that you guys had done that was a little bit different was you cannibalized yourself. So you would bring out products that would eat away at your market share. Totally. Otherwise, other people would. And that struck me as such a great idea. But did people advise you not to do that? Or was that not conventional wisdom? And can you tell me a bit about yeah, that? Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you look at it and, um, you know, I think Steve Jobs, I think, said something like, you know, if you don't cannibalize yourself, someone else will. will and... You know, we always saw, we never, I actually banned cannibalization as a word internally. Our team wasn't allowed to say cannibalization because we just talked about meeting our customer needs. And so, um, yes, there was a lot of um, anxiety inside the business, you know, and particularly in the finance team. And their job is to be conservative, right? You don't employ a CFO to be, um, you know, a radical change person. You want them to be conservative and to protect the business. And so there was a lot of um, debate, robust debates internally around what would make sense, but ultimately just came down to listening to our customers. And, and for doing that, you know, I think that, you know, as a business, we've got world-class retention rates in our category. You know, we've got customers who keep coming back and customers who feel as if they've got a, a choice within our within our product suite to go from product to product. And, and we want to meet that need. So we quickly realized that just having, you know, trying to fit people into one box was never going to work. And so giving them the opportunity to swap and, and feel as if they had more choice was really important early on. So... Um, so having that level of cannibalisation or migration um, was really important. What's an example of that? Is that like the more bargain-focused box that you brought totally. out? And I imagine that its biggest competitor would have been your major family box. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And so, you know, you look at that from a, from a business perspective and so many people would say to you, look, why would you... Why would you change something? Why would you change a winning formula, right? You know, why would you... Why would you try to, to do something different with something that's working so well and meeting so many customer needs. But we also did hear customers saying, oh, you know, well, we're stretched on a budget and, you know, family meets a lot of our needs, but it's not entirely what we're looking for. And so we didn't only create a different product that better met that customer need. We actually looked at, you know, the tastes of people and, and, and all of the different things that they were coming back to us saying. And through that, we launched Bargain Box, which has been uh, an, an outrageous success, to be really honest with you. And, um, you know, it's now constituting a really significant part of the overall My Food Bag brand. So we're really proud of that and the way that we executed it. 
and it was a it was a step change in difference, wasn't it? Down Absolutely. down like less than half a half the cost a plate kind of affair. Yeah, it's about five dollars a plate, and you know we really um, as a business are passionate about taking on the takeaway. You know we're we're all about you know um, teaching people how to cook and giving them that opportunity rather than just you know there are lots of businesses out there that focus on giving people food, you know takeaway or whatever it is, and for us it's about really teaching people how to cook and. There's something incredibly empowering about looking on, you know, Bargain Box's Facebook feed and you see these kids in the kitchen cooking with their mums and dads, you know, and that is truly changing the way that we eat. And we're really proud of that because I don't know many businesses in New Zealand that are changing the way people are eating to that degree. And that idea was how you brought Nadia Lemon, who at that moment was when you brought her in, was one of the biggest names in the country, having just come out of uh, the, the MasterChef franchise. And how, how has that been part of um, the success? So, you, you know, obviously the business, but the food. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because, like, people look at it and they're kind of like, what happened first, the chicken or the egg, right? And people like, were like, oh, was it Nadia first or my food bag first? What actually happened? And so Nadia had just come out of the MasterChef franchise and she was a year out from winning and, and Chelsea had just won the year that we were um, looking at the business and Nadia was just fantastic. You just look at her and how she translates on camera and how genuine she is and how warm she is and how passionate she is and alongside that, incredibly talented. You know, there are few people in this country um, who are as talented truly as a chef as Nadia is and she she just delivered on that promise week on week. So, so we loved that about her. We loved how passionate she is. We loved, you know, her ethos around you know, um, eating from the ground and the sky and the sea. And so so that really fit well with what my food bag was looking to achieve and how we were really going to win in this market. You mentioned a little bit earlier on that you'd been, when you went to see Teresa Gadding, you'd been eating wheat bix and uh, having some long days. What, what, I mean, with a big success like this, sometimes even when things are going well, it can be as hard as when things aren't going well. How, how's the journey been in, in two fast growth companies? It has been really intense, you know, and I think intense is the best way to describe it. And I think many people talk about the fact that it can be quite lonely in entrepreneurial journeys. And I think for us, it's a really different journey because we are truly husband and wife. And, you know, we manage our different, um, the businesses quite well together, you know. Um, my husband manages marketing, IT, finance. I manage our customer, our development kitchen and our operations and purchasing and, and people. So we, we split the business really well. So for us, you know, that journey has been really intense, but we've always been on it together. And, you know, as you go through your journey, you have lots of wins, but lots of setbacks. And it's about your ability to pick yourself up through those setbacks, you know, having that emotional resilience, believing. It's really important. And surrounding yourself with people who are adding value to your journey. And so we've done all of that. And, and look, we've had a lot of wins and, and we're really fortunate people, but we're still enjoying, enjoying our journey. And, uh, and we're really looking forward to the future. What are your next steps there? Because you recently brought on some capital partners to steer towards an IPO. Yeah, look, and it's super exciting, you know, as we prepare to IPO, there are lots of things going on inside the business. And, and you know, my food bag is, you know, and when you're looking at a bus, any business that's, um, you know, well cracked 100 mil, you know, you've got a whole suite of other challenges along the way and, and you're actually not a small business anymore. You're really, really in that medium space. And so you're thinking about all the other ways that you can add value to your customer and, and, and how we can better deliver on our promise. So that's a big focus for us as a business and, and really leading that step change um, is really important to us. When people come to you for advice as young entrepreneurs, what kind of advice do you give people? 
It does depend on what part of the journey they're in. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, you have to work on resolving a problem. You know, it's all fine to think that, you know, you might have a problem, but are you actually resolving a problem for other people? And, you know, OPL Inc. and my food bag are fundamentally really simple, you know. Um, who's taking care of my children? And, you know, what are we having for dinner tonight? And so if you can't solve a problem, you don't really have a sustainable business, in my view. And so really focusing on resolving a problem and then listening to your customer. You know, don't think that you know what your customer wants. Listen to them. Spend time understanding them. And, and from that, doing that, you, t- you will win. And do you have words that you live by or kind of like mottos or things you come back to? Well... You know, I think for me it's just around uh, things that we talk about. Um, In particular, James and I, you know, we talk about the emotional resilience a lot, you know, and, you know, I think that we look at each other often and, you know, um, you know, happiness isn't, you know, um, getting what you want, it's wanting what you have. And, you know, you look at that and for us, you know, the happiness that we have is really, you know, we have, you know, what we've always hoped for in our life and you have to stop and look at that. We've got two beautiful children uh, and that hasn't been an easy journey for us. So we've struggled quite a, a lot along the way with that side of it and, and that's probably been just as challenging as the entrepreneurial journey. And now where we are, where we are, and we've got our family and, and, and you know, we're um, enjoying our business, you know, um, we're really blessed. So you just have to look at that and pause and be grateful. Thank you, Cecilia Robinson, for coming in and talking to us today and sharing the the journey. Can't wait to see the next steps. Thank you so much, Jose Barbosa, for producing, and thank you for listening. Uh, If you are a fan of the podcast, please do jump on and give it a rating and a review. They really do help. Thanks so much. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Cyber Pound. Brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring. Brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.